You're listening to All The Gear, a National Club Golfer podcast. Today on the All The Gear podcast, I am joined by Scott Fawcett, creator of Decade Golf. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Scott's work, Decade is a course management system that combines PGA Tour scoring stats and shot distribution patterns. It shows you how to select optimal targets out on the golf course to improve your scoring. It is aimed at a wide range of golfers, but is used by big name stars such as Bryson DeChambeau and Will Zalatoris. Given Will's recent performance in recent majors, I'm sure we'll have plenty to discuss. Hi Scott, thank you so much for joining us. This is probably one of the most excited I've ever been for one of these podcasts because I've been following your work for years and I am a decade subscriber myself. Now I could drive straight into like the detail, but for people who might not know about decade, first can you explain a little bit how you went from kind of this self-proclaimed data nerd to developing like a full decade product. Yeah. I mean, obviously, first of all, thanks for having me on as well. I usually love these kind of conversations. It's always kind of fun, especially coming in the day after Zalatoris loses in the playoffs. So I'm sure we'll have quite a bit to talk about, but you know, I, I was your normal guy. I played all the sports growing up and then went and played college golf and played professional for about six years. And Honestly, I met Chris Como playing in an underground poker game here in Dallas, Texas, back in 2004 or five. And he and I really started, you know, playing and studying a lot of poker. Obviously, at the time he was, shoot, he's probably only about 25 or six. I don't even know. What is that? It was about 17 years ago, is 40. Yeah, it was literally about seven, 27 or 28. Playing a lot of poker and really just starting to understand. I've got math degrees, but I never really thought of golf as a math game, but then just really learning more and more and more about poker and odds and expectation and as much as anything, just emotional control because you can't get mad while you're playing poker or you will just throw all of your money away. And I started playing a lot better golf. I mean, even as a guy who at the time then had full-time job instead of being a full-time playing professional, I really started playing pretty easy, you know, consistent, good golf. And I went back and played professionally for another few years from 2009 through 2012. And in 2011, when they first started releasing the strokes game putting statistics, and I actually used to be a, a regular poster in an online poker form, two plus two. And I started writing some threads that were just kind of math based golf strategy threads. And the very first one I wrote was in June of 2011. It was just titled as drive for show putt for dough really true. I just used a bunch of really bad math, but just some logic to just because I could, the wheels were turning. It's funny actually going back and reading them because you can see the wheels turning where I'm starting to kind of figure out some different things. <clears throat> and, you know, the thing about strategy in golf is it's just always been this folklore, mystical aspect of the game where there's never been just any hard evidence what does or doesn't work. And, you know, a lot of what you hear the the best players of all time say they did. There's just no chance it's what they actually did. Um, it's what they might have thought they were doing, but based on the math that we now know, there's just no way that that they did. Um, and so I, once the, for, the full strokes gain catalog was released in 2013 and 14 via Mark Brody's book, Every Shot Counts, 
I just started realizing that I could take all of, uh, you know, Como's TrackMan shot pattern and just basically quantify the size of shot patterns, like without getting too mathy, the standard deviations of directional and distance control, and then start intertwining that with the strokes to hold out strokes gain statistics. And, you know, in essence, soft management I didn't really know what I was trying to do when I started doing it. I just thought there would be something cool that if I just started down this, uh, this rabbit hole that I would finally come up with something. And, and I, I knew I'd created something pretty cool, but then it was in 2014, I was going to play in the Texas amateur myself a week before I got a quarter zone shot in my right arm and actually paralyzed my right arm for a couple of days. And so I wound up reaching to a junior golfer at my home course who just lost yesterday in a playoff at the PGA championship, <laughs> Will Zalatoris. And I just told Will who, you know, he was struggling at the time. He was 3,300 in the world. He, he had a ton of promise. Obviously, he's pretty damn good ball striker, but he really hadn't done anything yet. And so I just told him, let me caddy for you next week in the Texas Amateur. If you just do what I tell you to do, I really think you'll win. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I caddied for him and he won by three, and which was cool. And then I went down and caddied for him at the U.S. Junior and he won uh, the U.S. Junior with me looping for him. And then just conveniently, because SMU is here in Dallas, you know, Coach Enloe at the time, as a guy I've known since college golf. And he just told me that Bryson DeChambeau, he doesn't, you know, he fires at every pin. He plays way too aggressively. He can't figure out how to get a, to play, you know, correct golf. And so he asked me if there was any way that I could teach what I was working on with Will to Bryson. So Bryson was the next player that I worked with um, in February 2015. And then Bryson won the NCAAs and US Amateur just a couple months later. And apparently now I am a, leading expert on strategy. <laughs> it's kind of funny to be perfectly honest. I mean, I had, you know, 35 players in the field last week at the PGA. I mean, at one point I had, I don't remember the, I think I had 10 players tied for 10th or better um, that I've worked with uh, yesterday in the final round. So it was, it's just been fun. Honestly, obviously I love golf. I'm a lifelong golfer. And in looking back at my own professional career, I kind of was a guy basically like Zalatoris. I, I hit the ball really well. I hit the ball really far. I kind of struggled with the putter whenever I was playing in my 20s. And now I understand more and more about how putting works, which is what's just great watching Will putt, in my opinion. That guy's speed is it's literally unbelievable how good it is. And just watching him just perfectly lag putt his way around and then, you know, make some putts when they count and just have a, a week where they, you know, more happen to go in than not, you wind up getting in a playoff. That's just the, you know, the variance of golf and just kind of how the game works. So there's my, there's my canned, my canned bio, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> how good has it been like watching Zalatoris like in the last few, well, months really in the majors, given obviously you've basically worked with him since he's risen from like nowhere. I mean, it's crazy, honestly, it really is. I've, Obviously, I've known Will since he was nine years old. He and I, right, there was a couple of years back and played again in 2009, 10, and 11. It was right when he moved to Dallas, basically. And so he was just, you know, a little 11, 12-year-old kid that I was playing full-time golf for the most part then. So he and I would do all kinds of chipping and putting games and stuff on the range. And he was just, you know, <clears throat> I was a Corn Ferry Tour member. And, you know, not that I was a good one, but, you know, a little kid like that looked up to me and, you know, it was always fun having somebody to go chip and putt and practice with. So we've done a lot of stuff together. And it is, it's funny because I mean, I, I know Scotty Scheffler, I know Jordan Spieth, I don't know them well at all. But so they kind of seem like superhumans to me. I watch them and I'm like, 
man, maybe they're just these amazing superhumans. But Will, like, I know you're just a dumb little kid, which obviously is a joke, but you just see some other people that you don't know very well doing amazing things. And you just assume there's something, you know, intrinsically special about them, which there's obviously a lot intrinsically special about them and Will and everyone that does what those young players are doing. But it was, it is just crazy to watch this kid that I've known since he was, I mean, nine years old, just out there in a playoff in the PGA championship. And it's, it's funny. Cause like, I want to ask him some of just the dumbest questions possible. Like, how hard is it to know millions of people are watching you? Like <laughs> what's going on in your actual mind out there? Cause I'm just curious. Like obviously my entire life goal has been to get into a playoff in the PGA championship and dude, you just did it. I want to ask him the dumbest questions possible about what it was like, you know, like when you made that putt on the 72nd hole, was it like this insane adrenaline spike that just shot through your body or like, I don't know, man. I just think it's so crazy to watch these young people do what they're doing. It's, it's, it's really fun. I know. I was really rooting for him in the playoff. You talk about his putting quite a bit, and it's interesting. Like Everyone seems to have this obsession with this short putting, but then don't realize how good his pace control is. Like You must spend like a decent amount of time with him. Like I feel like it's almost like the media pushing this story on him that he's not good at like short putts. Well, he, I mean, he's not, but it's okay to say that. This is one thing that may, you know, I'm, I'm an accidental performance coach, if you will. So maybe <laughs> I'm going about it all the wrong way, but I just call a spade a spade and then let's deal with it. You know, Keith Mitchell is a guy that I've worked with for about six months now since the CJ Cup. And it's funny because, you know, I get plenty of DMs and texts and whatever from people like, hey, I can, I can help Will and you hear the announcers and everything. Last year, he was negative 0.06. He was basically dead on tour average in putting last year. I'm like, there's a hundred other people y'all should be reaching out to besides, <laughs> you know, Will. Like, again, I get it. It's not great. But if you actually dig into the stats, it's not that big of a deal either. And the biggest part about if you if you think you struggle on area of your game, and maybe you're right, but the biggest part about it is, don't turn a missed putt into a total disaster by focusing on it for the next 20 minutes. Like miss a putt, shrug your shoulders, tap it in and move on. And that's the thing that will, I mean, does better than anyone I've ever seen in my life. That guy is as resilient as you can possibly imagine to, you know, I mean, he missed whatever the putt. I feel like it was on 16. Maybe yesterday I was watching at a bowling alley for my daughter's ninth birthday party. So I couldn't even hear any of the announcers. And I was watching on my phone. I feel like he missed a short ish putt on 16 and he came back and made him on 17 and 18. Like wish it would have gone in, but it didn't. So let's move on. That's I, as a player did not do, I would I was the biggest lunatic in golf, which is honestly one of the main reasons I think I teach what I teach well is because I'm like, I know what's going on in your head and I'm just not afraid to ask somebody about it. So back to why I brought up this, you know, when I first started working with him, he's basically been negative strokes gain putting every single, you know, year of his five-year career. The first two tournaments of the year, he was negative two per round in each event, which is literally impossible to do. I mean, it's so bad, it's it's mind-boggling. And I just have to start off a conversation with a guy like that, like, do you have the yips? And he said no. And I'm like, okay, dude, no, I know you're going to say no, but like, literally, do you understand? It's like this little flinchy feeling in your hands, like, because if you do have it, I've got one direction we're going to go conversation. If you don't, then I'm going to go a different direction. It's like, dude, I don't have the yips. I'm like, cool. Then your speed sucks. There's no two ways about it. 
And you, once you really take a guy like that and start showing to him how and why I know his speed sucks, and then use a little bit of data to illustrate the idea. And then also use a guy like Zal Torres and be like, well, anyone who wants to kind of snicker at his putting, well, there's only about half of you out here that's better than him. The other half, you kind of need to watch what he's doing because he's doing it better than you. <laughs> that's what's really comical to me, honestly, but it's just, it's, you know, speed is not, anyone can have good speed, but it just takes orchestrated patience and understanding. You saw every putt Will hit yesterday, basically dying all around the hole. He left plenty short, you know, that's just act of life. And you, again, you tap it in, you move on. Yeah. I definitely don't think people like understand the value of pace putting to score. And like, I, I guess you hear the like drive for sure, put for door, whatever, but I guess that's probably more true when it comes to like lag putting because that's where people throw so many like shots away as general club golfers. I mean, exactly. And when it's just, again, I can actually even remember when my dad, whenever I was younger, my dad, I, I can literally remember, I don't know why I can remember the exact spot. He said it to me at, at our country club one time. He just said, you know, you can't hit it good every day, but you can putt good every day. And I just totally bought him like, okay, that's great. And then, but in hindsight, looking back at it, it's like, that's actually the opposite. You, you can hit it good, much more consistently than even the best putters putt. Because mm -hmm. the, the, the way I like to explain this to people is an eight foot putt. If you took George Spieth or Zalatoris or me or you had an eight foot putt on a straight, flat indoor setting, we would never miss it. I mean, I would make a thousand eight footers in a row if the putt was just flat and straight. But then you get out in actual golf on the PGA tour, an eight foot putt is 50 feet. It's basically a coin toss. And so how does something go from a hundred percent in a controlled <laughs> setting to 50, 50, we're not talking 90, 10, it literally, they, they lose at the time they miss. And that's because of all the outside agencies, wind bumps, you've got to read it correctly. You have to have your speed match your line. There's just so much that goes into putting well that like, I just, it's, again, I'm not saying it's luck because it's clearly not luck, but there is so much luck that goes into putting. It's ridiculous. You know what? There isn't any luck involved in hitting a driver. Well, that is pure skill period. And these guys that, that are the best at it, they just do it over and over and over again. I literally just pulled up Will's, stats on the year so far on the season right now in 33 measured rounds he's minus 0.23 strokes putting which is 154th which again better to be better at it but the guys 11th off the tee first approach in 71st around the green which that stat gets a little distorted when you're so good at hitting the green in regulation because you just don't get as many opportunities mm -hmm. so he's definitely positive per short game attempt He's first in strokes gained T to green. He's seventh in strokes gained total. He's seventh in money at 4.4 million. Like, I don't know what you're looking for because <laughs> it's pretty damn good. <laughs> so while we're on the topic of putting, my coach told me this stat, which I, I thought was really cool, which was like the worst putter on the PGA Tour holds more putts from five foot than the best putter on the PGA Tour holds from six foot. So... Should people actually be playing for angles on putts or when they're chipping and hitting approach shots, or should they just be trying to get the ball as close as they can? You should hundred percent as close as you can. I mean, and this is, and again, I don't, I want to clarify that because on your approach shots, 
rarely is the whole should should the hole be your target. So I'm not yeah. I'm trying to basically get my approach <laughs> shots on the green as quick as possible. And then from there, if I'm chipping, so I'm actually close to the, to the hole, literally chip it as close as you can. It really is funny to me how many times you think back to people saying like, well, I want that uphiller or I want that right to lefter. And so they like try to chip it to a certain spot. Like it's insane. I mean, and it's, it's just, yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. What, what's even funnier than what you said, which I'll assume that stat is correct since it sounds correct ish to me, it's probably right around correct at a minimum, but if you actually take like a five footer that is the craziest side hill breaker versus an uphill right lip seven foot, you would rather have the crazy breaking five footer than the uphill right lift seven foot footer. And I'm sure there's people at home that are thinking to themselves like, not me. Like, yeah, uh -huh. I'm sure you're the unicorn. I'm sure you actually are better from seven feet. And the way that it works, honestly, is every inch inside of about 10 feet is about 1% in your mate. And so that five versus seven footer, it's not exactly 24%, you know, 24 inches, 24% better, but it's way more than you possibly imagine. And it's literally not even close or debatable for a single person on the entire planet. It's just crazy because what we're really doing is removing two feet of opportunity for bumps and break and wind and everything else to take your soul as a magnificent totally out of the equation. It's just another two feet of the outside agencies getting to interact with the putt. And that's a bad thing. I think I'm a bit weird because I would much rather have a break and put like, at least I know it's going to move. Whereas when it's straight, I'm like, if it hits anything, <laughs> it's off. I know, but the same thing holds true on the right, on the, on the breaking putt. I, trust me, because I know exactly what you're talking about. But if the breaking putt hits anything too, it's changes the line just as much. That, that, that sounds very similar to, and this is a crazy one for people to appreciate, but let's say we've got a four footer that, man, I, I can't quite get my read where I'm comfortable with it. So you know what? I'm just going to hit it a little bit harder, which usually means someone's going to put an extra foot or change, foot and a half of, of speed onto the putt than they normally would. What you've done is made the hole literally half the size that it would be with the proper mm -hmm. speed is what's funny is taking speed out by trying to jam it in actually makes your speed have to be even more accurate than if you just died it in. Like the less confident you are in your read, the more you should die it into the hole, which I know is insane sounding, but I can assure you that is a hundred percent correct. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. You should have more of the hole to use. Yeah. So, it's, it's, it's really unreal. <laughs> my question following yesterday's golfers should me to have hit driver off 18 on the last hole uh i'm not gonna comment if he should have hit driver off the 18th tee but he should not have tried to not put his stock swing that much i know for sure mm -hmm. there's just no keith mitchell again i'm gonna keep on harping on keith i guess he's literally the best driver of the golf ball in, on the planet over the last five years like nobody drives the ball as well as him, you know, R Rory's right there with him, but those two are basically interchangeable is just the best. And Keith, I, I got to walk some practice rounds with him last week here at the Byron Nelson in Dallas. And we get up to number nine, which is again, a hole that is playing back straight into a 20 mile an hour wind. And even he and I have discussed like, yeah, I never do anything with the driver. And even I was like, surely this guy's going to try to, cause he hits it really high. And I mean, like really high driver. 
and surely he's going to flight this thing a little bit. He just teed it up and put his absolute stock swing on it and sent it straight up into the wind. And guess what? It went in the fairway and life was good. And that guy doesn't even try to alter his trajectory. And, and now this is what's interesting because again, like he is a good dude. I, I mean, he, he, he's doing the all in. And so it's so easy to Monday morning quarterback somebody, but I would bet my life. He has never once practiced the shot. He tried to hit on 18 yesterday. I mean, the follow through clearly, I don't know exactly what happened or what he was trying to do, but I highly doubt he stands on the range and hits that ball 30 or 40, that, that shot 30 or 40 times a day, like he does his stock driver. And so now here he is, in he's clearly the most pressure-packed, difficult tee shot of his entire life and basically winging it. I mean, he's, he's essentially just hitting a shot. I would, again, bet my life he's never practiced. And I would say this about Zalatoris also, because when he was in the playoff in San Diego earlier this year, he had been leaving his driver right most of the day. And on the 72nd hole, he stood up there like a normal-looking tee shot, lined up for his fade. And then when they came back to the playoff, right when he was addressing the shot, he was another literally like 20 degrees open with his stance. And I said to my girlfriend, I was like, oh, shit. And she's like, what's that? I was like, he is not comfortable. This is not going to be good. Because all he was trying to do was hit the biggest wipey fade, just trying to get it in play because he wasn't trusting what he had going on. And I asked Will about it. And to his credit, he said, yeah, I mean, I know what you're talking about, but I do practice that shot. And so... It's not exactly what you're thinking, but I also would say like, yeah, but you don't practice as much as you do your stock one. And I know you're not comfortable. But you just got to make just try to release it harder. I, I do think that that's why he went and played the draw more often yesterday with the driver. He was leaving it right pretty bad on Saturday. And I do think, and again, I haven't talked to him yet, but I do think that he was just trying the ball drawing just to get a different feel in his hands because he wasn't liking what, you know, how he drove it on Saturday. And so what I would say to Mito is nothing more than, Hey man, if you practice that shot a lot, you know, okay, great. But I just highly doubt he does. And so it's not really the question if he should or shouldn't have been hitting driver. It's whether or not he should have been, you know, going away from his stock shot as much as he did. Gotcha. So generally with Decade, the rule is 60 yards between hazards off the tee and you're good to go with driver. Obviously, we have a lot of club golfers listening. Does this distance ever get smaller, say for people with like slower club head speeds? No doubt. I mean, 100%. So approach shot strategy, the way I teach it is pretty generic. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, sure, the, you know, if a 10 handicap is actually going to try to use decade, they need to be a little bit more conservative with their baseline numbers, which maybe we'll talk about then a little bit later on. But that's just they, they should be a little bit more towards the middle of the green. But with the driver specifically, you need to know what you do. Um, so, you know, like you said, just slow, slower swing speed players. I mean, honestly, like the best is just LPGA players, obviously the ball a little shorter than the PGA Tour players, but they hit it so straight. It's literally mind boggling. I've, I've stood there with a few of them and just watch them through the bag, just basically not miss the center line. And I'm like, wow, that's really, really impressive. Well, they're the best female players on the planet. And the, the real key to this is golf courses are designed for the average man. And so for the average man, or excuse me, for the elite man, they can just go 50 yards further back and the golf course still kind of makes sense for the elite woman. 
like a lot of dog legs and hazards, they just wind up not making a lot of sense sometimes because y'all are so good at the game and the golf course was designed for the average man, which means it's got at least usually over in Europe, this, they can get a little bit screwy with how much width you have between penalty hazards. Um, but for the most part, they just are designed well. So you need to know how far you carry driver and how wide that shot pattern is in practice. And then trust that your shot pattern will be just a little bit bigger. Obviously, we're not just hitting driver after driver after driver. <laughs> but for the most part, what you said, like as a general rule of thumb, 60, 65 yards between penalty hazards. If you hit the ball 260 or 70 yards and longer, you should probably be hitting driver. I really don't need to know that much else about the hole as long as there aren't crazy bunkers that cut the fairway off or anything like that. And so when you look at number 18 at, at Southern Hill specifically, there's a ton of room. I mean, I just couldn't believe how consistently people were going up the right when, again, I didn't watch much of the tournament, as odd as that is. I just, I never saw anyone in the left rough. I went back in tracker two and in shot link, and there definitely were balls in the left rough, but not enough because there were too many in the right water or even where Zell Torres was on the 72nd hole. I stood right there in the practice round and I honestly couldn't believe Will was able to hit as good of a second shot as he did on the 72nd hole because that tree is so big and it's so in the way mm -hmm. and the hole is uphill and it's 200 yards and <clears throat> there's so much going on in that shot that, uh, yeah, it, it's crazy. But, yeah, yes, to start with, you definitely need 60 or 65 yards between penalty hazards to, to, to consider hitting driver. Honestly, some of the courses over here, though, are so narrow, like, I was playing the Welsh Amateur the other week and genuinely the 18th hole, there was 40 yards between gorse bushes that were solid on each side and it was a solid 2 T fairway. So you actually had 17 yards you could land in or you were in a bush. <laughs> yeah, good luck. <laughs> but again, so now, but this is then when, this is where the decisions start. Okay, so driver's a little sketchy. Well, back to Rewood. Does it be short of anything? And if that answer is no, then I'm going with driver over three wood every time. Now, this would be where to start getting interesting is if I drop back to iron, can I then still get home in two? And if so, that's probably the play. Like you're just going to miss 40 yards way too often. And, and, you know, you just don't hit your three wood. Just the technology, the driver, people think that it's the easiest club in the bag to hit. No, it's still the hardest club in the bag to hit. Sure, it's easier than an old driver. That's true, but it's not the easiest club in the bag to hit. And it certainly is easier to hit than most people's three wood. I mean, there are people that do hit their three wood better than their driver because they hit down on their driver too much. And then that actually works fine with three wood. But for the most part, people definitely drop back to three wood just to get it in play way too often. Now, the flip side of that is once you start getting back into an iron, maybe a hybrid, but even the a hybrid still typically has a bulge and roll face. And so you just, you actually, yeah, they're easier to hit and get up in the air, but you do not hit them as straight as you do like a flat faced driving iron. That's why you see a guy like Salatoris, he doesn't, you know, instead of having a, a hybrid, he's got that, that just long two iron or th three iron, I guess it is, whatever they're calling it on TV yesterday. It's just a rocket for him. Um, but yeah, you're going to hit those clubs straighter, but your three would, again, I just, I don't think most people should have three woods in their bag. I'm a big proponent of this 
this long driver and then a mini driver bag setup that I, I think way more people, amateurs included, should be using. So like you have one club for me, my driver, I would have it set up to where I fade it exclusively. And then I've got a mini driver with a little bit more loft that I have set up to where I can draw it exclusively because it's just easier to play it more in the middle of your stance, which will help you draw the ball a lot easier than a driver from the front part of your stance. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. And I think the amount of times people, I mean, people barely hit three wood off the deck anyway, especially in amateur golf. So it's like, it just sits in your bag gathering dust most of the time. Pretty much. And having as many, I mean, again, I do think that we'll see over the next few years, it, it'll really bear itself out on the PJ tour where we've got the best statistics um, and shot tracking, you know, available. I, I really think that you're going to see that driving is actually so disproportionately important in this game. It, it's like this old Ben Hogan quote, if you can't putt, you can't score, but if you can't drive it, you can't play. <laughs> and looking back at like even my own game, I drive the ball really well. I hit it pretty far and pretty straight. Um, and it really just makes the rest of the game. I'm not going to say easy, but certainly easier. I'd rather try to hit the green with a pitching wedge than a seven iron. There's just certain things like that. You just, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really don't want to just sit here and give me too much of a hard time, but just looking back at 17 on Saturday, just laying up like that shot alone might've, cost of the tournament it's just there's all these little things little decisions throughout the course of a tournament that add up several shots and you know that's the only one that sticks out to my mind but if he was capable of making that decision on 17 on saturday i'm sure there were a few other decisions he made that weren't exactly optimal um yeah, it's fine because I, I don't ever reach out to players to be like hey i'd love to help you but just having watched a little bit of that, I'm like, I feel like I can help that guy a decent amount. Just if nothing else, just clear up why he's making some of the decisions he is and then either commit to it more or less. <laughs> less being get a different club in his hand. <laughs> <laughs> I think sometimes when people think of Decker, they think of it as kind of stopping people being too aggressive. But then, especially with approach player, but do you think a lot of the time people are actually too conservative because I think it costs people shots from almost trying to avoid danger too much no doubt again especially off the tee like I, I definitely have people ask me like you know are you making this strategy more complicated than it needs to be I'm like well no it's a pretty complicated game actually um, but once you understand it it's actually really simple and, and so the reason I can't just say like most people they want to just be like hey aim it at the middle of the green on approach shots. And it's like, well, at Southern Hills, those greens are pretty big. Like that's probably pretty bad advice. Actually somewhere between aiming at the tucked pin and the middle of the green is usually correct. That's what decade helps you find uh, on approach shots, but then off the tee, you really should feel like I'm just being so aggressive. It almost feels ridiculous. Just hitting driver. It'd be, it has to be a really, really good reason why you're not hitting driver and hitting the fairway is not a good enough reason <laughs> to, to not hit driver because you just don't get to place the ball out there in the fairway once you drop back to iron. I mean, you definitely are going to hit your three-wooded fairway much more often, maybe 5 to 7% more of the time. But 100% of your tee shots are going to go shorter when you don't hit driver. So maybe you'll hit an extra fairway like literally every other day. 
but all shots being shorter. So I really want people to feel super aggressive off the tee and yeah, probably bordering conservative into the greens and then definitely conservative with putting just, I mean, outside 15 feet, just try to lag it as close as you can and trust the hole's going to jump in the way of some putts. I mean, I don't know. Honestly, I was trying to think about it last night. I, again, I didn't get to watch all of the golf tournament, but I, I certainly don't remember a three putt that will had, um, Yesterday, I'm trying to see if I can find this thing right here. Strokes gained putting for the week of the PGA plus 1.1. I don't see any three putts in that. I got to actually click into shot link, I guess, to find that. I paid 1.6 million. That's a good day, I guess. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, I don't, I don't know that Will had a three putt in the tournament. I mean, I tried to watch a decent amount of his stuff, at least at a minimum, in, uh, you know, after the fact, but I don't know that he actually had a three putt. And the greens weren't fast necessarily, but they certainly are undulated and pretty crazy. Like that was the one thing when I first started walking around on Tuesday in the practice rounds, I was like, wow, these greens are nuts. <laughs> and uh, yeah, they're crazy. Yeah, that's the thing. Cause I think a lot of times in my training stuff, when we're working in teams, like people set like greens and reg targets. And I get it, but then you play and it's like, well, I'm just trying to put this on any part of the green to get like a green in reg. And then I'm just leaving myself a terrible like pace put. Especially like this week, we're playing at St. Andrews. The greens are massive. Like just trying to get it on the green generally isn't like a good idea. Well, and, and that's exactly, I literally use in, you know, whatever I'm giving my little canned jokes or whatever. I say like middle of the green on 18 in St. Andrews where the hole's 360 and the green speed is wide middle of the green is probably really bad advice. And mid green on number 10 at beach is also probably really bad advice because you've got way too long of a shot and there's an ocean on the right-hand side. So <laughs> it really is. Um, you, again, I, I, I do think, not the decade is complicated. It's as easy as seven minus two minus three, <laughs> but there's a, there's a little bit of effort that you have to go through in order to pay out, you know, a good quality mm -hmm. target. And at the end of the day, that's just, that's just what it takes. You know, you gotta, you gotta think out there. Well, what's funny is honestly, is I catch so much grief from some people, but I'm like, you know, Okay, we want to argue about if Tiger or Jack were the greatest players. I don't know. I don't really care to be honest. But one of those two is the 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 or those two rather. If you say who is the best uh, course managers in the history of the game, you're going to say either Tiger or Jack. And that's that's kind of my point. Where I'm like, well, if those were clearly the two best, and everybody agrees they're the two best course managers, well, then you know what. Of course, management is important. I just opened shot link. I figured out Zaltors had one three putt on the week. I believe it was on the 18th hole in this round. He had 32 feet. The pin was over there on the right. I feel like that has to be pretty close to where yesterday. Let me see. Yeah, pretty close to where yesterday's pin was. He actually had basically the same putt that Justin Thomas had in the playoff. And he hit it about uh, four and a half feet. Uh, by. It's more to the right and then miss that. So he had one three putt all week. Pretty damn good. I'd definitely take that in my next tournament. So a lot of our <laughs> philosophy focuses on like expectation management. Why do you think this is so important and how much do you think this can help like club golfers game as well as the pros? 
Well, I mean, expectation management is just everything. Like, again, you're, you're, if you know an eight-foot putt is 50-50, it's a coin flip. Like, just knowing a few of these little stats, it just helps you. I mean, it's a coin flip for the best players of the world, I should say. And, and whenever you miss uh, – if, if you and I were flipping coins and I flipped it and you guessed tails and it came up head heads, you literally wouldn't sit there and say, gosh, I suck at coin flip guessing. Like, you would just be like, okay, flip it again. You wouldn't think twice about it. And yet when we miss an eight foot putt, we literally all think that we did something materially wrong. And, and maybe you did, but also it was 50-50. I mean, the fact that a four foot putt is 88%, I mean, I find that to be absolutely incredible. That's, that's, that's one in 10, the best players in the world are, are missing from just barely longer than the length of your putter. It's just these numbers are just kind of irrefutable. And so just expectation management. I do think that I do think that players, like if you think of if your range of scores is from 70 to 80, I do think that most of the time when you shoot that 78, 79 or 80, you quit in some form or fashion and quits kind of a hard word. Cause everyone thinks, well, I'm not a quitter. I'm like, well, you abandoned strategy or you got pissed off for like 30 minutes or you just kind of pouted or whatever that's all part of quitting. I'm not literally saying you like cried and walked in, but you abandoned some portion of strategy uh, or excuse me, of, of just scoring of, of the idea of we're here to shoot our lowest score possible. And I think that the vast majority of your worst rounds to some degree, you quit somewhere along the way. And it's just always in my experience and opinion. It's always because of some, you just checked out for a little bit. That's it. You literally just checked out. I was going to say, so I'm up here in St. Andrews and I played this event last year as well. And the final rounds round, they all course. So I'd made like seven birdies in the first 12. I was six under and I just had like one horrendous swing, like straight OB double. And just the last five holes, I was just horrendous. I was so conservative, just like my strategy was terrible just because of one bad swing. So I definitely relate. Trying to not make point. mistakes. <laughs> yeah. Because the deal is you get out there and you're like, you just get all freaked out and you try to not make mistakes and then you try to get too conservative and man, it just never works out. You've got to, you've got to have strategy. That's honestly like a guy like Stuart Sink who bought my app the week before in Napa, you know, a year and a half ago. You know, he's a 48-year-old man who's been on the PGA Tour forever. And I talked to him for the first time in Tulsa, actually. I, I happened to, uh, up, across his group in a practice round. And he came over super cool to me. I was honestly really impressed. He was like, man, you know, it's just awesome. And just, it, it, he's like, I know it's right. And it's kind of how I've always wanted to play, but you just don't really know in your stomach if you're doing it right or wrong. He's like, just seeing the numbers and seeing it just qualified. It makes me know I'm doing the right thing, which allows me to just totally commit to it. And then you just sit back and run the script over and over and over again. And you just wait out a little bit of variance and see what happens. I mean, it's hard to do, but again, so much of golf is just not hitting really bad shots. And this is what I started to say just a second ago. Now when I click into shot link and I'm looking at, <clears throat> at purely Will's strokes gained statistics, he hit one tee shot all week that lost more than a half a shot. It was on number 12 yesterday. And he hit one approach shot all week that lost more than a half a shot. And it was on number six when he hit it into the bushes uh, on that par three. Other than That's that, so he, I mean, he had a lot of negative. Yeah, I mean, he had a, he had plenty of negative shots, but he just never hit really bad shots. He hit shots that kind of just weren't 
great, but they were just barely in the rough for this or that, but he just never hit a really bad shot. And that's what young players, when they're out there trying to force things, certain wedges and whatever, you're just going to hit bad shots. And it's just not, you know, you just can't make up losing more than a half a shot on an approach shot. It's just hard, hard to do. That's why I think I really like the course planners you can download out of Deckard as well, because obviously they have like the different strokes from each different distance of like what people get down to the hole and from there. I think that really like clears your mind sometimes and stops you trying to like force something so much. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's just certain, I mean, you know, the PGA tour because of shot length, we know that it's like 165 yards in the fairway is where a tour player averages three shots to hole out. Like you know, so basically if they hit their tee shot into the fairway to 165, they're basically going to average making par on the hole. And that's like a nine iron for most of these guys, maybe an eight iron. Most people think that they, with those, you know, they're, they're scoring clubs. <clears throat> they're going to do better than that. But Lou Stagner, the guy that used to do data work for me, He's got some great stuff now that he's over at Arcos that he posts where 94 yards in the fairway, a scratch amateur scratch averages three shots to hole out from 94 yards in the fairway. Like that's absolutely insane to me. Um, Cause the scratch is, I mean, theoretically a pretty good golfer. If they're a hundred yards in the fairway and somebody offered him three, they should pick the ball up and walk to the next tee. <laughs> like, I just, I can't believe that's accurate. But again, it's millions and millions of shots, so it's probably accurate. I know. I, just think, I think that's crazy. It is kind of hard to get your head around that. <laughs> Very hard. So you talked a bit about shot shape off the tee before. Obviously, you went into a bit more about having two clubs and two different stocks, like shots. If people didn't have that, do you think someone should be sticking to one shot shape? I mean, all I do is I just look at what the best players in the world do. And when I'm talking about guys like that, I'm talking about the, the, the DJ, the Brooks. I mean, so many of these guys that have been really good for the last however many years, especially with the driver. Again, I definitely have been painted, I think, a little bit too much into a corner of being mm -hmm. one shape and one shape only, even with the irons. What I'll tell you is, you know, I'm a plus four ish handicap. I, I, I you know, I, I don't get to play as much as I would like to. I had surgery on both my elbows last year. I really haven't played much golf in the last five or six years. And I still managed to, to basically carry a plus four ish handicap. And I do that by just doing the same thing over and over and over again and understanding that basically if you're trying to work the ball, so I fade, I, and I'm totally agnostic. I don't care if you fade it or hook it, just pick one. Um, so for me, a pin on the left, I get it. It would be cool to draw a seven iron over there towards that pin. But if I'm trying to draw it, it's because I'm trying to get a look at birdie, a better look at birdie, I should say. And I'm in a spot where just literally hitting the green and two putting it against my competition will for sure gain me shots. So like, this is where Tiger, you hear Tiger and, and guys like Nicholas and whoever say, you know, par's a good score on this hole. And it's like par actually is a good score on this hole. I mean, yesterday on number 18, the scoring average on 18 yesterday was 4.33. Par is literally obviously a good score. It actually gains you shots. And what's hard for people to appreciate, though, is, okay, the playoff was at five under. 
well, if I make a par on 18, I'm not getting closer to five under, but actually you're, you are getting closer to winning the tournament because you're beating your field by 0.3 shots, which is a ton on this particular hole. Making a par actually does get you closer to winning the golf tournament, even though the winning score is going to be under par. I think that's just a hard, like, it just doesn't make any sense, but again, it's, patently true <laughs> and so just really understanding pars it it especially for anybody who's listening that's not on the pga or lpga tour pars a very good score on basically every single hole in the planet and quite often your bogeys and especially like your doubles they come from just trying to do too much trying to get looks at birdies because birdies are fun as opposed to just again I start off my seminar and, and the videos in the decade app, the first videos is my, my main three objectives, stop trying to make birdies, winning requires luck and stop trying to make putts, which that sounds like a hilarious way to start a, a, a golf app. That's base. That's only purpose is scoring, but man, when you're trying to make putts, you usually wind up running and buy too much. You wind up having too many four footers coming back. You don't actually make that many more putts because you've made the hole smaller by having more speed. It carries into it. Like everything about it is <laughs> worse. And it's just amazing how, I don't want to say how simple it can be. But sometimes it's just not that hard to hit the green and two putt. And, and it actually is a net positive result basically all the time. Yeah. I think it's interesting because sometimes people think like implementing decade is complicated or something, but I think, it makes it a lot more simpler once you play in. And even like just knowing some of the basic stats, like for me, knowing an eight foot's like 50 50, if I've missed one, like the next time I think, oh, well, this is going in, like it almost makes me have a more <laughs> positive attitude than the other way around, if that makes sense. I mean, it certainly can. Again, just expectation management, just, well, it's like, you know, like going back to the, to, to the, cards analogy there's 52 cards in a deck of cards and winning a golf tournament even if you're great on tour they maybe win at a two or a three percent win rate a three percent win rate would be once every 33 starts it would literally be like winning a tournament every like 15 months which would obviously be a very good career mm -hmm. and it's basically the exact same thing as if i said pull the ace of spades out of a deck and you did it that's how hard it is to win on tour. If assuming you're one of the best players, obviously you, everybody can't have a 2% win rate because that would sum up to 300%. Like most people, like we should be so lucky to have a two or a 3% win rate at the end of the day. Like, and that's why I just, I don't think winning can be the goal. I mean, it, it is the most sports cliche thing we can possibly say, but <laughs> process literally is everything you sit back you run the process you run it over and over again you add them up and you see what happens i mean when i'm sitting here looking at at the 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 scoring averages from yesterday now there were one two three four five holes with scoring averages under par is that correct yeah number 15 was 3.8 number four par fives basically is the par fives and then the shorter par fours just like it is every single week i mean <laughs> it's the same thing over and over and over again get par fives get the shorter par fours and try not to screw the rest up 
So with approach play, you obviously have your system. How does sloping lies come into that? Because we get a serious amount of them <laughs> over here. Well, this is where, you know, decade is part art and part science. You know, I'm from Dallas where it's probably about as flat as Scotland. And so I'm not very good at side hill lies. I, I'm not, it's, it's definitely a struggle for me. And I can't tell you how many times I would hit it in a front right bunker with a seven iron hanging below my feet. And I would just think, God, I suck at these shots. Well, what decade would now tell me to do is add two more to that baseline number. And, and just to explain that a little bit better. So where decade starts is you've got, you know, how long is the shot? And you need to be aiming rather than thinking towards the middle of the green here, you actually want to be as aggressive as you can. So you start working away from the, I hope this makes sense. It's so hard to explain without visuals, but the pin is four yards from the right. You would start your directional target from the right edge of the green. And based on the length of the shot, we would have you going a certain percentage, a certain amount of yards to the, to, towards the middle, but rarely would it, you know, actually get all the way to the middle of the green. And mm -hmm. so then we've got these modifiers where you then rank the surrounding hazards to get either more aggressive or more conservative. And then you understand your own game, which for me, again, I'm not very good at these side hill lies. So I would need to get a little bit more conservative when I've got one of them. And then you just wind up getting a final target that is some amount from the edge of the green. Uh, and then relative to the pin, you choose your target and you move on. I, Hope that made some sense. I'm not sure if it did or not. Definitely made sense to me. How much do you think psychology like affects this though? Because I think, say I'm over a shot and I know I really can't miss one side. Like I will just strike it a little bit off the toe or the heel to like stop it going that way. And it's almost like you have to try and eradicate that from your brain and just think, you know, this is my target. Like it is mathematically correct. Just like hit it there. <laughs> I mean, it's honestly, it's all psychology. If you'd asked me six years ago, wow, what, you know, like Bryson and Will went from, I'm not going to say nowhere to somewhere. I mean, Bryson had already, you know, he was like 67th in the world when he attended my seminar at SMU. And so he was good, but he certainly wasn't great. Um, I would have told you back then, it's all this, it's all the math. The, the math is it. I'm a genius. Yay, math. Yay, me looking back at it, it's like, oh, it's actually all the psychology simply because this game is so hard um, to play correctly. And then you've just got so, you just hit so few good shots that you're just kind of constantly being beat on all day long, <laughs> which I really do laugh sometimes thinking that, that people who leave my seminar thinking, God dang, this game sucks. Why do I play it? But once you understand all of this, it really does become easier to sit back and play patient, disciplined golf. And ultimately, that's what the point of the game is, is just to play super, super patient, disciplined golf. Okay, one last question, because I've taken enough of your time up Absolutely. today with the multiple uh, technology fails. But talk to me about match play, <laughs> because... Obviously, Only... amateurs play more match play than pros. Do you stick to your strategy or do you play more aggressive, given a high score doesn't necessarily matter? And do you change relative to what your partner does? No, I don't think so. I mean, again, this is a really hard one for people to believe or trust or anything. But again, 
when you feel like you're going to play more, okay, my partner already hit it in there close. So I'm going to get more aggressive. You, you might, you might lower your proximity, but you're definitely going to hit fewer greens in regulation. And so where I try to explain this to people is playing with proper decade strategy. You really do make the same amount of birdies. It'll just be from slightly different shots within your shot pattern. Um, you, you'll have a slightly longer birdie putt on average, but you'll have more of them. You really will make the same amount of birdies. I, and I really do believe that with all my heart. And, and then when you start trying to factor in what your opponent did, it's just really hard to know what they're going to make until they get it inside of about eight feet. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, if, if the eight footer is 50, 50, they got to get the ball inside of that before you really start having a pretty good clue of what they're going to make on the hole. And, and if you think about it this way, a three foot make rate on the PJ tour is really hundred percent. They basically average you know, 1.01 strokes to hole out. Um, and then at eight feet, they it's, it's a half a shot. So in the first five feet from three feet to eight feet, you lose a half a shot of expectation. It takes another 24 feet all the way out to 32 feet to lose the next half a shot. And so let's say you're in the fairway. And I mean, Zalatoris and I did this is in the ninth hole in like the quarterfinal of the U.S. junior Our opponent had hit up there close. We thought he had hit it to like five feet. The, the green was slightly elevated. So we couldn't, we didn't quite have the perfect depth perception. And so I definitely, because back then we, we, I'd done a lot of this math, but some of it has definitely been done after the fact. And then just through trial and error with experience. And we did get more aggressive on this one shot and he barely missed it. And it came up two feet short in the front right bunker. And then he hacked it out to like 10 feet. But once we got up there, our opponent was like eight or nine feet. And so, yeah, at five feet, we thought he had about a 75% putt, but actually he's like eight or nine feet, which is less than 50%. And, you know, so there's a good chance he's not going to make this putt. But most importantly, if we had actually played to our correct target and then he hit the shot he hit, he actually would have hit it to like a foot. You just don't know which shot. So you've got this shotgun blast where if you imagine a shotgun blast, and I know this is a, a USA, Texas reference, but I don't even know. I'm not a gun guy, but I think like 50-ish little BBs come out at a time. And the way that's what your shot pattern looks like is just this shotgun blast. But then technically, when you hit your shot, only one of those BBs comes out and you don't know which one is coming. I know which one you hope is coming, but you simply do not know exactly which shot is coming next. And as a result, you know, you just have to play, again, patient, disciplined golf and sit back and run the script over and over and over again. And just trust, if I keep doing this for 72 holes, I'm going to shoot my best score. And if I do this for an entire season, my entire career, I'm going to get the best results possibly can. Sure, it kind of sucks because you want it, we want to take far more credit for our great play when it happens than, in my opinion, we're technically uh, – you know, responsible for because so much of it is just a little bit of luck. You know, you just got to sit back and play, play good golf and just see what happens. I remember golf is really, really hard. (laughs) Really hard. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for joining us. It's been super insightful for me and I'm sure all the listeners will love it. And where can they follow you if they want to get more information afterwards? 
You know, at this point, conveniently, I, I really did try to choose the word decade golf so that we would be very easily searchable about six years ago. Whenever I started this, it was somewhat intentional to try to create uh, a little mnemonic device to to replace the word strategy. And I feel like with the results that we've had, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's gone fairly well. And, you know, this isn't just about elite golf. I get people all the time that send me emails like, wow, I've shot my best score ever. I've lowered my, cut my handicap in half in the first 90 days, men, women. I mean, Sophia, when she won the British open last year, she had been working on decade stuff with her instructor during the, uh, the, the lockdown. He came out and caddied for some cactus tour events. She referred to decade in her post-winning interview. I mean, Men, women, old, young, good at golf, bad at golf. It really doesn't matter. There's something in it for everyone. And like I say, at this point, if you just Google decade golf, you'll, you'll find us. 